Welcome to the ADS Podcast. This is where we talk about all things audience development for the arts related. Join us for discussions about audience building tips, ideas, concepts, and philosophies with sometimes brought in special guests. And now, here's your latest podcast for you. Hello, Shoshana Fenitza here from Audience Development Specialists, and we have a special guest today, Jeffrey Nitsch, who's a composer, educator, performer, arts administrator, all-around awesome guy, as you will see. And we are going to have a conversation today about his newest symphony, Formations. But before we get to the conversation, I wanted to introduce him properly. So Jeffrey Nitsch has built a diverse career as composer, educator, performer, arts administrator, and consultant. A native of Vestal, New York, Nitsch completed dual degrees in geology and music at Franklin and Marshall College before earning master's and doctoral degrees in music at Rice University. His compositions have been performed extensively throughout the United States and Europe and have been performed and recorded by major artists such as Richard Stoltzman, the Seattle Symphony, the New York Chamber Symphony, and others. He is also in frequent demand as a speaker and clinician in the area of arts entrepreneurship. He has lectured at major conferences and music schools nationwide, and his writings have appeared in numerous journals, including Artivate, the Journal of Arts Entrepreneurship, the Journal of Arts Management, Law and Society, and as a guest blogger for Entrepreneur the Arts, the Savvy Musician, and Greg Sandow's The Future of Classical Music. Since 2009, he has been Director of Entrepreneurship for Music at CU Boulder, one of the nation's leading programs in arts entrepreneurship. I also want to play a quick clip of the first movement of the Formation Symphony. It's called Orogenes, or Mountain Building. And it musically depicts the upheaval and birth of Western North America's crust seen today in such places as Royal Gorge. And this is the Boulder Philharmonic with music director Michael Butterman.
So let's welcome Jeffrey to the show. So today we have Jeffrey Nitsch, and welcome to the ADS podcast, Jeff. Thanks for having me. And how are you today? I'm doing just great. Great. So I wanted to have you on here. I am very much for talking about audience development for composers, and Mm -hmm. I've done a few webcasts regarding this topic, but I saw that you pretty much did a hands-on what you need to do in order to get your composition out there, and I thought it would be great to talk to you about this and talk about all the different things you did to create your audience. Okay. Your very first symphony. Very exciting. So Symphony Number no. 1 by Jeffrey Nitsch, Formation Symphony, and it was world premiered on September 8, 2013 with the Boulder Philharmonic, music director Michael Butterman, and it was the celebration of the Geological Society of America's 125th anniversary. That's pretty cool. So how did this commission yeah, come yeah. about, and did you go to them with the idea or vice versa? Well, it... It uh, started, actually, a little bit by luck. I happened to go to a community seminar that was um, held by Elevation's Credit Union, and they had people from the Geological Society coming and giving a talk about the geology of Colorado, and I thought, oh, I have to go see that because I have a, a background in geology. I have an undergraduate degree in geology as well as in music, and uh, I thought, oh, this will be a lot of fun. And I went there, and that's when I found out about the 125th anniversary. And, you know, uh, one of the things that that I teach students about thinking entrepreneurially is to recognize when opportunities present themselves. And I immediately saw this as an opportunity. And I went to the Boulder Philharmonic first because I knew people there. And that's, that's the second lesson, you know, it's all about relationships and contacts. And I went to them first. I said, I've got a crazy idea. Um, you guys are going to commission a symphony for me, and <laughs> and we're going to get the Geological Society of America to underwrite it because they've got this big anniversary coming up. And uh, their executive director, Kevin Shuck, at, at the Phil, said, you're right, that's a crazy idea, but we love it. And, and then we went to the Geological Society and said, we have this idea, are you interested? And they were enthusiastic. Fantastic. So it was your idea first. You had the relationship with the Boulder Philharmonic already, and then you got the Geological Society involved. So that that sounds like a great way to go about it. And so um, in getting ready for preparing the audience for this new symphony, and, and especially the idea of combining geology with music, which we'll talk about a little bit more later. Mm-hmm. Tell us a, a little bit about the outreach events that you did for this concert. And, in fact, I want to read to our listeners a little blurb that you had here. It was the Music Geology Hike, Symphony in Stone. So the, the name itself, that, that sounds very interesting to me. And it was a collaboration with the Open Space and Mountain Parks, where uh, their naturalist, Dave Sutherland, who will lead you on a journey into Boulder's past with wild stories that include dinosaurs, glaciers, vast swamps, oceans, and ancient mountain ranges now vanished into the dust of time. And as an added bonus, we'll play some excerpts from the orchestra work. How neat does that sound? So this is your outreach event. How did, how did this come about? Well, it, it fit in with some things that the Boulder Phil was already doing, which is um, creating – 
ways to connect with the community that are unique to Boulder. And they were planning uh, their entire season this year is about the relationship between nature and music and how that really resonates with the community of Boulder, which is so oriented to the outdoors and, and uh, you know, is very active and very, um, you know, connected with the environment around us and so forth. So there were already a series of, of events that were happening throughout the season. And so we thought it would be really great since uh, Dave Sutherland does these talks about the geology of the of the area and we uh, take these hikes that go up off uh, from NCAR and go up, up towards the foot of the Flatirons. And uh, we were able to take a, a little portable uh, recording device and play some excerpts of the music for the hikers while we're out there talking about and looking at the rocks themselves. And it was just a great, great way to um, make what might have seemed like a kind of abstract idea and make it real for for patrons and for um, members of the community who maybe wouldn't otherwise come to the symphony. Right, right. So did you find a lot of new people signed up for this event that actually did attend the symphony concert? Yeah. So one of the really great things about this was that um, a lot of the people who signed up for the hikes were not Boulder Phil patrons already. They were people who were on the open space Mountain Parks mailing list, or they had read about it in the camera, or they'd been following my video blogs. And so I think of the 60 people we had, um, only one, yeah, yeah, I know it was great. And only one or two of them were Boulder Phil people. And then afterwards at the actual performance, I saw a bunch of the people from the hike who came up to me and and said, we're so glad that we came tonight to hear this. So it's a, a great example of how you can um, reach audiences through unconventional kinds of channels, but it's got to be something that that resonates in the community that you're trying to reach. And obviously, outdoors things, nature things, hiking, that works for Boulder. Right, right. That makes total sense. And as I tell my listeners and my audience, definitely find out what makes your audience kick. What do they enjoy doing outside of going to your concerts? Mm-hmm. And then use those ideas to create some really collaborative, fun things that you can do, not just for your outreach events, but also for your programming. That's so right. So this, this was a great collaboration on all levels that I thought was really uh, key to the Boulder audience. So I thought mm-hmm. that was wonderful. And so how did the – so obviously you went on the hike as well. Mm-hmm. Did you play the excerpts and actually talk about the music while you were looking at the the mountains in Boulder, or how did yes. you do that? Yeah, um, that's exactly what we did, and and I worked with uh, with Dave Sutherland a little bit beforehand to sort of uh, you know review the the various stops along the way where he was going to say something, and then I I found a, a musical excerpt that was appropriate for that particular rock outcropping. Tell me. And then I would talk a little about it and play maybe just a couple of minutes of music. It was a very sort of brief thing. Um, but there was one moment in particular where we had just looked at these rocks that were created on a, on a, uh, a beach in the very distant geologic past, and we could actually see in the rocks the, uh, the, the ripple marks that had been created in the sand by the current. 
And then I played some of the music that was depicting that exact same formation, and it was it was uh, really magical mm-hmm. to to hear that music and to be able to actually see the rock. And it was almost like we were sort of collectively transported back in time to that to that time and space. And uh, it was it was really quite special. It is special. And I, I was looking at the program notes and where you were talking about the different movements. If you could just tell our listeners just really quickly what you titled each movement and what it actually represented. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to create a um, sort of a big picture of how this part of North America has developed and evolved without telling the complete story because that was just way too way too much material to try to cover. Right. So I picked four episodes. Um, the first one is called Orogenes, which is a geologic term for mountain building, and it depicts the laying of the geologic foundations about 1.7 billion years ago. And in this movement, there's also the musical foundations are laid as well for the rest of the symphony. Um, the middle two movements are about human beings and our relationship to the earth. So uh, the, the second movement is about the gold and silver rushes of the 19th century, and we hear all kinds of very suggestive sounds from the orchestra depicting the, the sounds of mining, depicting the sounds of the minerals actually forming. Um, and then lastly, uh, the sounds of the labor unrest that, that sort of brought that era to a close around the turn of the, the 20th century. Um, the third movement is called Requiems, and this was really a kind of an ode to um, fossil fuels and the fact that the, the fuels that make our modern society possible and that, that really drive our modern civilization are, I think, ironically derived from the, the remains of previous living plants and animals. And I, I just thought that was worth reflecting on and contemplating without trying to make any kind of political statement, but just try to strike something that would provoke reflection and re- provoke some, hopefully some thought on the part of the audience about about that relationship and about that that kind of irony and how we're using those resources today. Right. And, uh, and then the last movement is called Majesties, and that's about the creation of the modern Rocky Mountains, which, of course, it, you know... It, I had to end with that, even if it might have seemed like the obvious choice, because sometimes the obvious choice is obvious because it's the right choice. And, uh, you know, how could I not end with the the magnificent mountains that are the modern Rocky Mountains today? I mean, that, that's just, it just had to end it there. So it's a very uh, sort of grand celebration of the landscape that we recognize today. Right. And I think you hit gold on all of those points of collaborations in order to to have the audience think about these types of things. Mm-hmm. So yeah. let's go into what I I recently had a tip called Collaborate With Yourself, and which means to take another passion of your own and collaborate with your art. And that's exactly what you did. I mean, this is a, a great example of that. And can you elaborate a little bit on the thought process for doing this? Yeah, Um you know, ever since I was an undergraduate major in geology, music, and, and people were always saying, what do those two have to do with each other? How, how is it that you're a, 
a geologist and a music major, and of course then there would be the inevitable, you know, rock music joke, right? Right, <laughs> <laughs> uh, We actually did a thing, parenthetically, we did, we did a thing with the Boulder Phil that any time anybody made a rock music joke during this project, they had to donate $25 to the Boulder Philharmonic. <laughs> and we actually got some donations that came from the result. Great. Oh, that's fun. Um, but, you know, for me, it, it never felt like two unrelated things. Um, I, I've always felt that art and science are really after the same thing, which is to understand our world and to understand our relationship to the world. And the only difference is that we go through, of course, very different means to find those answers, and we find maybe different kinds of answers. But I think that the, the core quest is the same. And so for me, I always thought about ways that these two things could go together. And I, my senior project as an undergraduate was actually an attempt to do that. I took uh, information about mineral and crystalline formations and tried to use that to create musical motives that I based a piece of music on. And uh, I don't think it was a very good piece of music, but, <laughs> but it, it, you know, it, it sort of set the stage for me to continue to think for a very long time, how could I bring these two things together? And, um, you know, sometimes ideas have to lay dormant for a very long time before they come to fruition. And this was one of those ideas. And it wasn't until I moved out to Colorado um, about four and a half years ago. And, of course, walking out my door in, in Boulder every morning and seeing those flat irons there and um, seeing this, this incredible geology here in Colorado that kind of reawakened that thought. And I thought, maybe it's time to really think about doing this for real. Maybe it's time um, to think about a symphony. And so... And the 125th anniversary didn't hurt either. Well, right, exactly. <laughs> that was why when I heard about that thing, and, mm -hmm. and I already knew that the Geological Society was based in Boulder because I, I used to be a member of the Geological Society. But, it, it, yeah, as soon as I heard that was the anniversary, it, it just, the light went on. I, Great that's motivation. It, right there. Great. Well, I wanted to read a little bit from the program notes that um, inspired me to ask you about this collaboration with yourself. And basically, it was about development of rock formations are similar to music composition. And you basically said, the music was already in the geology, making it easy to bring the geology into the music. So yeah. can you, like, expand upon that? I, I just thought that statement was really fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, when you, when you study geology, first of all, there, there are so many ways that it's similar to music. It unfolds in time the way music does. Of course, it unfolds infinitely slower <laughs> than music. But, but there is still that sense of there being a sequence of events that, that lead up to something in the way that music unfolds. Um, there tend to be motives that recur, whether they be certain minerals or certain um, sedimentary uh, characteristics or certain rocks that appear again and again at different stages in this story. And that's very true of the geology of the Rocky Mountains, where, um, for instance, those rocks that uh, formed the foundations of the first movement those same rocks can be seen today in the modern front range. And so, uh, and in many other episodes along the way, those rocks sort of keep coming back and you're, oh, I, re I recognize that rock. That's the rock that we encountered the other day, you know. 
So this idea of recurring motives, this idea of um, there being uh, a sense of form and narrative, um, these are all, to me, very musical ideas. And the, uh, the geology of this region was, as I say, particularly musical because of the way that a relatively few number of, of geologic ideas continue to recur and continue to shape and continue to evolve over time. And I just used those as guides for how I wanted to transform and develop my musical material. So is there a particular place that also inspired you? Oh, there's so many. Um, what I did for each movement was um, we created a little slideshow that we ran in, our, in a pre-concert lecture that we gave to the public and also that I gave in a number of other talks um, around the community before the symphony. And on each one of those slides was uh, the sort of selected rock formations that were represented in that movement and then some places where people could go and see those formations. Um, and, the, I mean, there's so, so many. There's, there's, uh, there's Royal Gorge, of course, which was a very big part of the first movement. Um, there's uh, uh, the Sawatch Range down through uh, the, the upper Arkansas River Valley there, the headwaters. That's magnificent uh, inspiration for the final movement. Um, certainly the, the Flatirons, the Garden of the Gods, Pikes Peak. Uh, also in the final movement. So the, there's there's just lots of places all the way up and down uh, the front range from, from New Mexico uh, all the way up to, to Wyoming. Well, it sounds wonderful. We're actually going to move on to kind of a new topic, and part of audience development is definitely get getting the press's attention so you can get the audience's attention. Mm-hmm. And your new symphony attracted quite a bit of attention around here, press-wise. Yes. And what were some of your media moments, and what were some of your favorite media moments? Yeah, we, we did have some, some really good press out of this. I, I think the, the moment that I was most proud of was that um, I, I had an interview in Nature, the, the big international scientific journal, and uh, actually had a friend of mine who lives in London uh, send me a, a Facebook message. He said, hey, I, I saw you in, in the latest issue of Nature. Holy cow, you know. Wow, that's pretty uh, and that, was, that was pretty cool, yeah. Um, but I think the reason why it attracted attention was because it was something unique. It was something out of the ordinary. Um, it wasn't just another new piece of music, which ought to be reason enough to, to attract media attention, but usually is not. And I think that, um, you know, with every uh, interview and every media outlet that we, that we worked with, we stressed this idea that this was something that was bringing together all of these different constituencies in the community. And I think that's the thing that, that the press really loves to explore because th- that they're trying to appeal to a very broad range of readers or listeners or whoever their constituency happens to be. And you have to come up with stories that help them do their job, which is to reach their their audience. And this just was really tailor-made for that. Exactly. It's like, like I mentioned, it seems perfect for our area here in Boulder, Colorado. Yeah. 
So another another thing that was exciting to see here is the fact that you received an, a major sponsorship from ExxonMobil. Mm-hmm. And I was interested in, in finding out about that. Like, how did that relationship come about? Did they pay for the entire commission that was on the table? What, what was their relationship in this project? Well, we came to them through the Geological Society, and that was one of the, the other things that made this such a great relationship was that I knew that they were a, a, a very large international organization, um, and they have lots and lots of contacts um, in, the, in the corporate world. And uh, so I was confident that they would have the, the Rolodex, as it were, to, to find corporate sponsors that would be interested in this. Um, they were putting together a international convention at the Denver Convention Center with 8,000 attendees. Um, and I knew that whatever we were talking about for my commission was a very, very small little sliver of their total budget for that event. So, again, it was it was choosing partners wisely in terms of um, an organization that would have the resources to make it happen. The other thing we did, the ExxonMobil grant didn't pay for quite 100% of it. It was almost 100% of it. But the other thing we did was we created a consortium of some other orchestras um, in the West who would be able to um, sort of claim credit as co-commissioning partners. Oh, and can, you, can you name a few of those? Sure, yeah. We have the Fort Collins Symphony, the, uh, the Denver Philharmonic, um, which is going to be doing the piece on April 4th uh, in Denver, so folks uh, can get a chance to listen to it there. Um, and then the Midland Odessa Symphony down in, in Texas. And uh, those orchestras also bought into the commissioning process and in return will be able to, to, you know, say that they were co-commissioning partners with us and be able to be a part of this world premiere event. So it's, uh, it, it gave them something that they could then, of course, use to create community connections and community support in their own markets. Right. Um, and it allowed us to raise a little bit more of the money that we needed to make it happen. That's a great, that's a fantastic idea. So the commission was 100% paid for through that endeavor added to the ExxonMobil. So the collaborations, the relationships that were there, the the partnerships that you formed in order to make this happen, just an amazing all-around example of audience development done right. So, yes. And I, I also saw that you... You did the online component as well. You're using SoundCloud mm-hmm. in to have people be able to listen to the movements online. Were there any other technology that you used to promote your symphony? Yes. I started a video blog um, when I began the, the project, which was now a, a year ago. A little over a year ago is when I began composing it. And I thought it would be a great way to both... Um, explain the geology in a little bit more detail, uh, the geology that I was depicting in the symphony, Um, generate interest that way and and greater understanding, Um, and also just talk about my own creative process to get people interested in the symphony that was going to result. And then it also allowed me to talk about what I do at the University of Colorado, which is um, running the Entrepreneurship Center for Music and training artists about 
how to be entrepreneurial with their professional lives. And so it ended up being a, a thing that every every week or so I'd have another little installment about some aspect of one of those things. And I was amazed at how many people ended up following those videos and came up to me at the at the concert and say, I watched every video. It's so <laughs> fascinating. And and the thing is, is that by the time that had happened, they'd been watching these videos for nine months. That like there was no way they were going to miss that concert. Oh, and that is fabulous! So the people that really wanted to geek out on the background of the symphony were so into it. Watch every video. That that is really fantastic to hear. And I, I do feel that more more orchestras, especially, need to start doing these types of things, like having the background be readily available online for people. Uh, so where can people find this video blog? Well, they can find it a couple places. I have a Vimeo channel, which is just Jeffrey Niche, right? my name, N-Y-T-C-H. Um, and I am also uh, have a professional page on Facebook, and they can um, find me there, Jeffrey Niche Composer, and uh, the video blogs are there as well. Great. So I will post that for our listeners to, to be able to click on those and, and get a good example of how to use a video blog to promote your symphony. That's, that's fabulous. Yeah. So you mentioned that people co-commissioned. Where else in the country do you find to be a good place to perform this symphony? And have you done research to find your audiences there? Yeah, that's a really good question. I am looking into some places both here in the West, where the geology is very, very uh, applicable. For instance, the the uh, uh, Utah Symphony would be a great choice. Oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and some of the other orchestras around the Mountain West. Um, we also have the 150th anniversary of Rocky Mountain National Park coming up in 2015. Oh, fabulous. And so I'm trying to work with some orchestras to maybe do something in conjunction with that. Um, and whether or not there are going to be places outside of the West that will want to do it, I think it remains to be seen. I, I do have some contacts with some other orchestras back East, places where there's similar kinds of geology in their region. It's not the same geology as ours, right. but everywhere you go, there's geology. So the, the pitch that I'm making is that we can still do these kinds of of community outreach and community engagement events, um, learning about the environment in those particular communities, and then sort of take a a trip out west and and see how geology is translated into music um, through the symphony. Um, I haven't landed one of those yet, but but I I think there might be some orchestras that, that would think that was not too much of a stretch. Have you also thought about contacting some geology departments to see if they'd be interested on that end of the spectrum? Yes, I'm already uh, booked to go to the University of Tulsa in a few weeks to uh, lecture in their geology department about the symphony. Um, And, uh, you know, I'm hopeful that there'll be more opportunities to do that. It's it's a little bit, um, you know, unless their orchestra is going to also perform the piece, there, there might be some, you know, limited opportunities to do that sort of thing. But uh, but I've had a few invitations, and it's it's always fun to talk with geologists about this because they love the idea that their science has been translated into this art form, and they're always fascinated with it. 
That is really interesting. And I guess just so I can get a handle on this, has this been done before, would you say? Well, um, there are lots of pieces that have been inspired by nature. Right, landscapes, exactly. Yes, and and, and there have been pieces that have been inspired by um how do I want to put it? I guess p- parts of the landscape that are particularly geological, like a volcano, for instance. Right. Um, but as far as I know, there are not any pieces that have really reflected geologic processes in exactly the same way that, that my piece attempted to do. So I, I think in that sense it was um, a, a unique endeavor, but I could be proved wrong. There's, I always discover as a composer that there's really nothing new under the sun. Somewhere somebody has probably done it, but I'm not aware of it. (laughs) So it it was actually pretty unique, and I I feel that if you do take this across the country, then you'll be equally successful in getting press there and uh, finding your audiences that would match this particular format. So do do you have any final thoughts for our listeners in terms of audience development for your compositions? Well, you know, when I talk to composers all the time, they generally start from this idea of, I have this piece I want to write, and then I have to try to figure out how to, quote-unquote, sell that to an audience. And I encourage them to to turn that upside down. Um, It doesn't mean that we don't have pieces that we want to write. I wanted to write a geologic symphony, but I didn't sort of strike until I saw that there was an opportunity to really connect it with people who were going to value it. Um, And so, you know, my lesson for composers is to really be on the lookout for opportunities for them to exercise their creativity in ways that are beyond just themselves, but in ways that connect to constituencies in the community, and to get creative about those those kinds of opportunities, to to really try to, I hate to use this phrase, but but to think outside the box so that um, you can really come up with something that nobody has done before because that's what will energize your audience. That's what will shake out funding more easily, and it will get you the, the, the PR that you need for the next project to come along. Exactly, and I, I think I, I like the fact that you you mentioned that it was something that you did want to do, so it's not the fact that you're – you're kowtowing to the audience of what they want or a certain situation. You're actually still being true to yourself. And, I mean, obviously, geology and music, this is very true to yourself. So yeah. you're, not, you're not saying that you're dumbing down your own music. You're just finding a great opportunity where your specific music could be applied to that would make sense for the area around you. So yeah. I thought... That was really well put. I also want to talk about really quickly before we wrap this up is the fact that a lot of orchestras are still on the fence about doing new music. So what would you say as a composer to those orchestras out there, and hopefully some people from orchestras are listening today, um, what would you want to say to them in this moment? I personally think that orchestras should be doing more new music, and I'm not saying that because I'm a composer. (laughs) I'm saying that because I believe that in new music, there is rich, 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 unmined territory (laughs) uh, in this 
area of creating pieces that speak to your community. There's always some anniversary going on. There's always some event. There's always some piece of history to explore. Um, the, the, I mean, the possibilities are, are endless. And as we discovered with the Boulder Phil, not only did we have a really great house that night, um, in fact, it was one of the highest opening night audiences that they'd had in, in a very long time. Um, oh, but it was also um, a, a lot of new people who hadn't been to the Phil before. And um, so it was, the, it was the double whammy. We got the numbers and we reached uh, new people. And it was because of this new piece of music that we were able to do that. So I think that, um, I, you know, I understand why orchestras sometimes are reluctant because they're, they're concerned that the audiences um, are going to be challenged by the musical language and or are going to be challenged by just the fact that it's unfamiliar. But I think if you can connect the music into something that they do understand and that they can connect with, you would be surprised how irrelevant the musical language becomes in terms of it being a barrier. People will get past that if they understand what the piece is trying to communicate. I, I totally agree with you. And, and in fact, in, in my world of research, I've been finding that one of the number one reasons that people want to continue to go to a concert is to witness new music. And if we're not providing that opportunity, we're not giving them the sense of, of having that new experience to, to get them to want to go more often. Yeah. So I feel new music is, is really key and, and, and getting our, our new audiences for, for our orchestras. So the new music is definitely key in, in helping um, to find new audiences. The other thing that I found that was quite interesting is that even if a person is not familiar with music, that even if the, if the piece is new, it's going to be new to everybody. So it's an even playing field. Right. And it's a great way to introduce people to something to the music because it's going to be new to everybody and they can understand that. And maybe that would make them feel more comfortable. So I feel that definitely the barrier of programming new music, I think is kind of all in our, our heads right now because the, the research out there is showing that it brings new audiences and then the new audience members can relate to the new music better because it is an even playing field. That's right. That's I think that's a really interesting point. And and to build on that too, I think if you, I think it's a mistake to just sort of drop a piece of new music into a program that is otherwise unrelated to it. But I think if you program cleverly and carefully and strategically, then the new music can also help us to um, experience the 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 old music that's paired with it in a new light. So, for instance, all the season at the, at the Boulder Phil, there's, there's this ongoing theme of nature and music, but it's this mix of new pieces and very, very traditional pieces like right. Beethoven's Pastoral Symphony, which is you know, about as, as mainstream as it gets. And yet, it, in this different context, I think people will maybe experience that in a different way. They'll hear something they didn't hear before. So I think that it, it also can be a vehicle to continue to engage your existing audience, which which might be a little bit more conservative in its tastes, but um, but I but I think it's it's not an either or. I think you can find ways to create synergy, and then you're both building your audience and maintaining your base that you depend on. 
That's a great point. And just the fact that when I said that audiences want to keep coming back for new experiences, it doesn't have to be just the new music, but if you present the old music, the familiar music, in a new way that that has them experience it in a new way, then that's going to be a major for your existing base. Mm -hmm. So where can uh, they find you online, Jeff? Well, they can visit my website, jeffreynitch.com. And if they want to listen to the symphony, uh, the Boulder Philharmonic has uh, the movements up to be streamed. You can't download it, but you can you can stream them through the uh, SoundCloud. Um, and if you go to Boulder Phil slash formations, um, then that's uh, they can actually listen to the symphony there. Fantastic. So thank you, Jeff, and thank you for joining us at ADS Podcast. It's been a fascinating conversation. I hope to have you on the program again soon. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. All right. Take care. You too. What a great conversation. It's always good to talk with Jeff. And I want to thank you, dear listener, for being with us at the ADS podcast. Find other podcasts at buildmyaudience.com.